Anyway, let's turn to Romans chapter 7. We're going to talk about four pillars of wisdom that can help liberate us from sin. Four pillars of wisdom. You know, uh, sin is a, is a heavy load for us to bear. And uh, everybody's confronted with it. Everybody has it. So, I mean, we're, we're all guilty of it. And if we leave it undealt with, it's going to result in destroying our lives and eternal life especially. Jesus uh, has given us these supporting pillars that uh, enable us, every person, to overcome sin in our lives by using these four pillars we can overcome sin we can become Christian and we can live an exemplary Christian life that's a, a big problem I think that we have today in uh, in the world as in our part of the world even is People that claim to be Christians not living an exemplary life for Christ. So as we uh, talk about these uh, things today, we need to approach them very prayerfully and examine our own lives as we look at them. Let's pray. Father, uh, we thank you that, uh, God, you love us and care for us, that you've provided a way for us to deal with sin in our lives. We know that when man sinned in the garden so many years ago, he brought death and destruction upon all the future generations. God, only you could provide a means for that to be overcome, and you have. We pray that, uh, God, we would look at these things and make sure that uh, we've embraced them in our lives and that we can be the people that you want us to be and follow you uh, for the forgiveness of sin and for Christian living. And we pray all of this and ask your power as we study and uh, work together through these principles. In Jesus' name, amen. Can y'all hear? Is this, is this speaker on up here? Y'all hear all right? Huh? Tristan fussed at me one time about coming down here because the, the speakers didn't project or something and y'all couldn't understand what I was saying, but I, I can hear it in my ear, so I'm, I assume y'all can hear it. Uh, in chapter 7 of Romans, the scripture says, Since I am speaking to those who understand law, brothers, are you unaware that the law has authority over someone as long as he lives. For example, a married woman is legally bound to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law regarding the husband. So then, if she gives herself to another man while her husband is living, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law. Then, 
if she gives herself to another man, she is not an adulteress. Therefore, my brothers, you also were put to death in relation to the law through the crucified body of the Messiah, so that you may belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we may bear fruit for God. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions operated through the law in every part of us and bore fruit for death. But now we have been released from the law, since we have died to what held us so that we may serve in a new way of the Spirit and not in the old letter of the law. Now, according to what uh, Paul wrote to the Romans and what is true for us today, uh, the penalty for sin of uh, the lawbreaker has been broken by Christ. Now, the Old Testament law was very important in the Jewish world. They did everything that they could to keep the law. It was that important to them. They tried, I mean, down to the very minute little thing. They would call it jots and tittles. They wanted to make sure everything in their lives was perfectly uh, done just right so that uh, they would not be guilty of the law. Well, of course, we know that that's not possible. Even our thoughts we are responsible for, and I don't suppose there's a human being that goes through the world no matter how perfect they are that doesn't have a sinful thought every once in a while. Because I know every once in a while I see somebody uh, pull out in front of me in a car that almost wrecks me, and I'd like to get my hands around their throat for a little while. Uh, (laughs) We're that way. Uh, Especially if you've been on the receiving end of a bad accident uh, and have uh, been broken up and and, uh, that kind of thing. You really don't appreciate somebody uh, disobeying the the rules of the road. And uh, we shouldn't uh, approve of anybody or uh, we ought to disapprove of all people and all sin. Uh, but uh, what the problem with the world today is that we've, we've come to overlook so many things that God considers sin that we don't even consider it anymore. And uh, this uh, does not excuse us from the penalty of the sin because God in his perfectness sees all of the sins of man and he requires that there's a penalty. Now, this passage of Scripture in Romans 7, these first few verses, uh, I've heard used over and over again for uh, people getting remarried and and about divorce and all of that sort of stuff. And that's not what it's addressing. Now, that may be a secondary issue in this Scripture, but what Paul is addressing to the to the people in Rome is this very thing that there's a penalty for breaking the law. And that penalty uh, is severe and that penalty is has been broken by the life, death, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Now, he gives the example uh, in, the, in the Jewish world, uh, and we use the same example because we say it's in the scripture. If a, if a woman uh, leaves her husband uh, by divorce or, or whatever and uh, gets another man and is remarried again, then she's considered an adulteress. Well, the problem that I've had with that in, in my life, there's a flip side of that coin. If a man leaves his wife and marries another woman, what about him? He ought to be considered an adulterer too. See, this, to me, this passage doesn't address that situation. It's addressing a general relationship between a man and a woman. Now, back in those days, it was easy to accuse women. You know, women were kind of second-class citizens. We wouldn't talk about men that way, but today we would. If, if people leave their spouses and get remarried to another spouse, uh, what they're guilty of, of uh, what the Scripture calls adultery. That's what we would, would say. But folks, this passage of Scripture is not addressing that. It's addressing our relationship to the law. What, uh, what this says is that Jesus has, has died just like that spouse to allow the forgiveness of sin. The penalty for the lawbreaker is broken because of the death of Jesus Christ. That's what we need to understand. In him, if we're in him, all the sin has been broken and all the penalty for sin has been taken away. We receive, uh, if you look at, at verse 6, what, it, what he says there, we now have been released from the law. We have died to what held us so that we may serve in a new way of the Spirit and not in the old letter of the law. The lawbreaker receives, if you will, a reprieve from the penalty of death. Now, We've heard, and probably in our lifetime, more than once, about somebody that's been on death row that is about to, to be executed because of the crimes they committed to, to get a reprieve from the governor or someone else uh, from the death penalty. Or perhaps even there was somebody not too long ago that got set free from prison because they weren't guilty altogether. Uh, and, and this is... This is the reprieve that we receive as sinners when we accept Christ. He died in our place, literally. He died in our place to take the sin that was ours and pay for it on the cross. Now, we have taken very lightly and not too seriously, I, I think, sometimes, what Jesus did for us. There are not too many people that I know on the face of this earth that would uh, pay the penalty for my sin with their lives. Especially if that sin was merely driving 75 in a 70 mile an hour speed zone on the highway. And I got pulled over and got a ticket for that. And that, that didn't re require money payment. That required my life. There's not too many people that would do it. Not too many people would even pay my ticket. 
especially if I was breaking the law. Well, everybody is guilty of breaking God's law. And the, the price tag on it is very high. It's death. And Jesus took the death of all human beings, the sacrifice that he made was for the forgiveness of sin, a price that you and I owed and should have paid, but we didn't have any way to pay it. Only God could pay it, and he paid it by coming to earth and living as a human being a perfect life and offering a perfect sacrifice to his Father for the forgiveness of all mankind's sin. That's why it's so foolish for people to not accept Jesus Christ. They don't understand. If I told you I was going to cut your right hand off if, if you didn't do something, uh, very simple, very easy to do, I'd go cut your right hand off and just leave you alone, let you bleed to death because it's a pretty good artery down here, you know. If you didn't shine my shoes, you know what you do? You shine my shoes. And it's about that simple all you have to do is believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and He came to give His life to buy, if you will, purchase your soul back from the devil. Because when we sin, we sell our souls out to the devil. And Jesus came to pay the price to get all of the souls back of all of humankind. All of humankind. Not just a few, but everybody. But there's so many people that reject him today and leave the most precious gift that can be had in our lifetime laying on the table with no redemption. <laughs> I, see a, I see a commercial on TV <laughs> lately that just, <laughs> it makes me laugh. It makes me, I giggle at it every time I see it. There's two, two little boys opening Christmas present. Y'all may have seen it. And one little boy opens his, and it's a big old box of insurance. It's an insurance company advertising. It's a big old box of insurance. He just flips out, boy. He's just so tickled. And his brother tears open his gift, and what is it? It's a new bicycle. Well, now, what seven-year-old do you know that wouldn't be tickled to death to get a bicycle? And he kicks that thing and walks off because he's, he's mad because he didn't get insurance. <laughs> now, that's just about how stupid we are. Now, just think about it. That's about how stupid we are. To walk away from Jesus Christ in lieu of having what the world offers. That's how dumb we are. Anybody, and I'm going to tell you this with, with all my heart, and I don't mean it in a bad and ugly way, but anybody that would refuse the offer of salvation from the Lord Jesus Christ is nuts. I mean, that's just, hey, that's just a southern way of putting it. They're just nuts. They've lost their mind. Somebody offered me a million dollars hands-free, no, no question, no nothing, no taxes, no anything. The government's not going to come after you anything. You can have it. It's yours. All you got to do is take it. What would I do? I'd grab me a sack and run to get it. 
That's, it's just foolishness to turn Jesus away because he's got the most precious, the most costly thing in the world to give us if we just take it. But it requires something called humility. We got to think more about why than what. Well, I'm telling you, our Jesus is some kind of fellow to reprieve us, to purchase us, to pay the price for our sin. The second pillar is the relation of the law to sin. Now, the law can't do anything about our sin but reveal it. If you look at these verses of Scripture in, uh, in verse 7, it says, What should we say then? Is the law sin? Absolutely not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin if it were not for the law. I wouldn't have known. You know, we've got the Ten Commandments that says, Thou shalt not. If we didn't have those, we wouldn't know. We could have the excuse anyway that we didn't know it was wrong to do some of those things. The law reveals sin to us. And uh, not only that, in, in, uh, the, ver uh, in the Scripture continues in verse 8, and says, And sin, seizing the opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. It activates the penalty for sin in us, that death that comes as a result of our sin. The law also uh, brings uh, <laughs> recognition of the magnitude of sin. Uh, look over uh, at verse 13. Therefore did what is good cause my death? Absolutely not. On the contrary, sin in order to be recognized as sin was producing death in me through what is good so that through the commandment sin might become sin beyond measure. Beyond measure. What magnitude sin holds in our lives beyond measure. Folks, I hear People say, well, I, I'm not that sinful. I'm, I'm not that bad a person. I'm not that sinful. Well, according to the Scripture, I don't believe that it takes but one sin to have the magnitude of death. Now, I don't know about y'all, but that's <laughs> death is a pretty high class. I mean, that's a, that's a, a costly thing. That That's pretty good. That's well up there when it comes to magnitude. I don't know how much we put on that in the, on the Richter scale, like measuring a, a volcano or an earthquake or something. But uh, the, the magnitude of our sin is just exposed by the law. So thank God for the law that he's given us in the Old Testament and what Jesus did to become a living law. The third uh, pillar would be the conflict 
of the law and ourselves. Look at verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm made out of flesh, made out of flesh, sold into sin's power. For I do not understand what I am doing, because I do not practice what I want to do, but I do <laughs> what I hate. Nobody's ever been guilty of that, have you? I don't do what I ought to do. I do something else. Um, and we claim we don't know sometimes. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law <laughs> that it is good. So now I am no longer the one doing it, doing it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my flesh. For the desire to do what is good is with me, but there is no ability to do it. <laughs> How many times have you done something wrong and immediately knew that you had done something wrong? That's kind of like driving through a highway patrol speed trap. When the blue lights come on, you immediately know you've done something wrong. He's going to hand you that little piece of paper that makes you pay too. <laughs> I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. Verse 20 says, Now, if I do what I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but it is sin that lives in me. So I discovered this principle. When I want to do what is good, evil is with me. For in my inner self, I joyfully agree with God's law, but I see a different law in the parts of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. We may know what the right thing to do is. We may grow up in church. We may learn the Ten Commandments. We may learn all the Bible stories about Jesus and all of that sort of stuff. We may be in church all of our lives. And we know in our heart and our mind what the right thing to do is. But if we haven't purchased our salvation, we don't purchase it, do we? It's a free gift. If we haven't been to Jesus for that gift of salvation... We're guilty before the Lord. We've got these two natures that dwell in all of us. The, we, do, we have a delight in the law of God, but the wages of war inside of us, this, our minds wage war against God's law. We may know what it is, but <clears throat> that little voice inside of us, I'll go ahead and do it and it's not going to hurt anything. You ever heard that voice? <laughs> I've heard it more than once. Hurts. <laughs> I don't know about I'll go ahead and do that. It's not going to hurt anything. It's not going to hurt anybody. Nobody's watching. Who's going to care? Nobody will know. God knows. Doesn't he? Folks, I'm telling you, we need to be careful about what we do uh, in our relationship with the law. God gave us the law to make us aware 
of our condition before him. The third pillar would be the conflict of the law and self. Look at verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm made out of flesh, sold into sin's power. For I do not understand what I am doing, because I do not practice what I want to do, but I do what I hate. <laughs> well, I didn't know it was wrong. Well, don't, let's don't use that excuse. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law that it is good. So now I'm no longer the one doing it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my flesh. For the desire to do what is good is with me, but there's no ability to do it. Now look at that. That's verse 18. Look at it. I know what I ought to do, but I can't do it. That's literally what it says. I know what I ought to do, but I can't do it because of the flesh. Verse 19 says, For I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. Now, it doesn't make any difference how much you regret it or how much you don't want to do it. We still do it. <laughs> when we're little, like these babies over here, when we're little, we know we ought not to, we ought not to mess with mama's stuff. But sometimes we still mess with mama's stuff. And that gets us in trouble. We know we're not supposed to mess with daddy's stuff, but sometimes we do, and it gets us in trouble. Verse 20 says, Now if I do what I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but it's the sin that lives in me. Now, <laughs> I've heard people use that for an excuse. That's not me doing it. I'm just a sinful person. God made me this way. I can't help it. Wrong. So I discovered this principle. When I do want to do what is good, evil is with me. For in my inner self, I joyfully agree with God's law. But I see a different law in the parts of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. Paul reveals these two natures. In us, verse 22 tells us that it's, we delight in the law of God. We should delight in the law of God. And verse 23 says, talks about the wages that we do. We wage war, our minds and our hearts wage war against God's law. It's just the way we are. It's the way fallen man is. We... Uh, we do it in spite of ourselves, in spite of knowing that we ought not to, we do it anyway. We might delight in the law of God and say how wonderful it is and what a great Bible we have. But when it comes to our sin, we can always make excuses. <laughs> you don't understand, preacher. <laughs> have you heard that, Herschel? You don't understand, preacher. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. They make an excuse for what they did. Well, it doesn't make any difference. You know, hey, if if somebody if somebody were taking 
my daughter and, and going to run off with her or my wife going to run off with her and I knew they were going to harm them or kill them or whatever, I wouldn't think twice about taking the matter in my own hands. Now, justification can be made about doing that and defending your own family. But folks, if we do it just because we're mad at somebody, look, some boy come along and runs off with my daughter because he wants to marry her, and I know that's the worst thing in the world he can do. I'm not going to kill him, even though I want to, <laughs> to protect my child. I might want to do that, but that's a wrong thing to do. It's a wrong thing to do. The fourth pillar is the believer's power. Look at verse 24. What a wretched man I am. Who would rescue me from this dying body? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with my mind I myself am a slave to the law of God, but with my flesh to the law of sin. We've got the power in us to recognize our sinful condition. And that what he said, what a wretched man I am. We've got the power through the Holy Spirit to recognize what a sinner we are. And verse 25 leads me to believe that we have the power to confess it, to repent of it, and to surrender to it to be saved. Now, that's one of the hardest things to do in witnessing somebody is to get them to see that they're a sinner, but they don't have to be. Lost forever. They've got the power to confess their sin, to repent of their sin, and to surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. But there's so many people that just won't do that. You know why? Because they love their sin too much. Until somebody comes to the point to realize that they must love Jesus more than their sin, they're not going to be saved because they won't give up. And what it takes is, is giving up and confessing, repenting, and surrendering. Confess, repent, surrender. You've got to admit that you're a sinner and lost before you can get saved. Isn't that right? You've got to admit that. Then you've got to repent of it. Just being sorry for your sin is not going to get you into heaven. Oh, I'm, how many times people have sinned and, and just they'll stand before the court and say, Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to, and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, but uh, <laughs> they still have to pay a fine. We've got to surrender to the, to the will of the Lord to be saved. All of... Men's lives have foundations to build on. And God has provided the tools. These four things we've talked about today are the pillars that stand, that hold everything else up. We need to understand that. We need to understand our relationship to the law relationship of that law to sin and the conflict between the law and ourselves 
and realize that we have the power in Christ to overcome. Now, folks, that's just, that's the way it is. Four pillars of wisdom that can help us and aid us to be liberated from sin. The question is, do we want to be? Do we want to be? Yep, I think so. We need to be, all right? If uh, you have anything you need to talk to me about, I'll be here after the service. Okay, let's all stand and we'll be dismissed, okay? Thank you for being here today. Somebody help Herschel up. <laughs> he was telling me it was his left knee this morning. I told him I got one of those too. So if anybody, that, if anybody doesn't see Herschel, he'll explain what it feels like to you. God love you. Brother Johnny, would you dismiss this place?